0: It's been quite a month for Ticketmaster. Taylor Swift announced she was going back on tour and it caused nothing short of chaos. Demand for tickets was so high during the pre-sale that it crashed Ticketmaster's website. The planned public day of sales was canceled altogether. Fans are angry and some politicians are too. Democratic House member from New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, tweeted this, quote, "...daily reminder that Ticketmaster is a monopoly, its merger with Live Nation should never have been approved, and they need to be reined in. Break them up." End quote. And the Department of Justice is now investigating Ticketmaster for potential antitrust violations. The criticism isn't new. After the break, we revisit our earlier conversation about whether Ticketmaster Live Nation is a monopoly. That episode was spurred by the high price of tickets for another music star, Bruce Springsteen. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Springsteen tickets went
1: on sale. I pre-registered so that I can get into the queue so that I can buy my tickets. When it was finally my turn to purchase the tickets, the tickets were the minimum $800 for one ticket. I couldn't afford it. And I know people that could afford to buy the tickets and refuse to because of the exorbitant fees that they're charging for tickets. Uh, Springsteen's supposed to be the man of the people. I don't see that. He should have done something completely different. I'll never go to another concert again.
0: Tickets for the 2023 Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band North American Tour went on sale in late July. But soon after, negative headlines started popping up as Springsteen fans discovered tickets to The Man of the People cost up to 5000 bucks a pop. The reason? Ticketmaster's dynamic pricing model. Dynamic pricing sets prices based on demand. The more people in line, the more the tickets cost. It's the latest controversy for Ticketmaster, who in 2010 merged with venue operator Live Nation. Fans and music industry insiders say both companies now have an effective monopoly over the events industry. That means high prices, lots of service fees, and even accusations of venue blacklisting. Here to talk about it is Diana Moss. She's an economist. Diana is also president of the American Antitrust Institute. Also with us is Joe Burktold, the president and chief financial officer of Live Nation, which operates Ticketmaster. Joe, Diana, thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Bruce Springsteen's manager gave a statement to the New York Times explaining their decision to use Ticketmaster's dynamic pricing for the tour. It reads, quote, In pricing tickets for this tour, we looked carefully at what our peers have been doing. We chose prices that are lower than some and on par with others. Regardless of the commentary about a modest number of tickets costing $1,000 or more, our true average ticket price has been in the mid $200 range. I believe that in today's environment, that is a fair price to see someone universally regarded as among the very greatest artists of his generation, end quote. Now, again, dynamic pricing is an algorithm-based system where high demand drives up cost. Joe, why does Ticketmaster
2: offer artists this option of dynamic pricing? Thanks. I'm happy to be on and clarify some misperceptions here. I think dynamic pricing is really at its heart. It's an effort to get the market value of a ticket and get that money to the artist as opposed to giving the opportunity to scalpers to buy tickets at below market value and put them on the secondary. I think this is a helpful uh, situation to look at. First of all, as you noted, about 1% of the tickets for the Bruce Springsteen tour were at over $1,000. Well, almost 20% of the tickets were under $100. So it was by no means that all the tickets were at an elevated price. It's also helpful here to look at that there were four different ticketing companies and there were multiple promoters involved in this tour and everybody was doing pretty much the same thing. So this is really a discussion on an industry trend. It's not something specific to Ticketmaster or Live Nation. And it's not something that's an algorithm In the back, a computer deciding what happens. So so how
0: does it work if it's not an algorithm? Yeah, yeah.
2: so it is, Ticketmaster has a lot of data, historical, what have tickets sold for? How are tickets sold in the secondary market? What are those prices? What is the demand for the tickets? It has a number of dashboards that it uses, and it provides that data real-time to artist representatives to help them understand what is the demand for these tickets and what is the pricing potential for the artist to get the money? How do so you the make end, the decision
0: about how to price the tickets? Is that the artist's decision or does yeah. Ticketmaster drive that no, process? That
2: is, no, that is the artist's decision. Um, Ticketmaster is a platform that executes what the artists, what the teams want to do. Uh, it's, it's done fully in conjunction with them. At times with dynamic pricing, it can be done real time during an on sale, oftentimes it's pricing that's set prior to an on sale, and those are the, that's the pricing of the best tickets in house. We've seen that trend in recent years that generally a single digit percentage of the best tickets are priced at market value to give the artist instead of the scalper the benefit of the face value of those tickets. And I think if you look at live experiences in general and those ticket prices, what you'll see is, is those, even those highest end concert ticket prices are generally in line with or less than the cost of the best tickets to go to a sporting event.
0: Now, you mentioned the Uh, secondary market, and we should mention that Ticketmaster also has a presence in that market, which we'll get to a little later in the hour. Diana, dynamic pricing is is not unlike how airlines set airfare. It's all about supply and demand. As an economist, how do you view Ticketmaster's use of dynamic pricing?
3: Yeah, great question. Um, I think the use of dynamic pricing is, is absolutely common, and you're right, airlines use it. Um, when uh, it's, it's a pricing strategy used by a firm with a lot of market power, like Live Nation Ticketmaster, um, it really becomes a vehicle for, for extracting enormous monopoly rents.
0: So, Diana, to to just return to the airfare model, I mean, what's different about the way you might purchase an airline ticket as compared to a ticket to go see your favorite artist through Ticketmaster?
3: Well, I think there are a lot of similarities actually between the two airlines. Um, you know, just basically price discriminate based on the type of seller and what they're willing to pay. We say the same thing over now with the in the ticketing space where um, Ticketmaster is able to gauge the 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 amount of of fandom that that the that the consumer has and what they're willing to pay for a uh, for a ticket um, the problem is when you don't have competition to discipline prices in the market from other ticketing platforms in the at least in the primary market then uh, really the sky's the limit for for dynamic pricing and it really can amount to price gouging where a monopolist extracts a lot of that uh, from the consumer. And uh, without competition, uh, we'll see that uh, practice uh, used more and more to the detriment of fans and consumers.
0: We asked you to share your experiences with Ticketmaster with us, and here's some of what you had to say.
3: Ticketmaster has absolutely ruined the experience of live music for me.
2: This past summer, uh, tickets to see Kendrick Lamar, just the baseline one ticket was 250 plus fees. So for uh, two people, that'd be you know, close to six, six fifty, seven hundred dollars maybe.
3: I used to go to a lot of small local venues around California. Great experiences. But as Ticketmaster becomes more and more prominent, shows that I would have gone to for ten bucks now sell for twenty five dollars and then not to mention the insane processing fees.
2: It's capitalism run amok. A working class couple can't afford six hundred dollars to go see Kendrick Lamar.
3: It just makes it impossible for a lot of people to go and enjoy the shows that we used
2: to. That was
0: Jenica in Fresno, California, and Marco in Brooklyn, New York. Joe, how would you respond to fans who blame your company for the high cost of tickets, especially that, that fee piece?
2: Sure, I think um, going back to the comments that were just made, it is the artist that sets the price. So I think the flaw and the logic in terms of uh, any, the argument about Ticketmaster is, is it's not Ticketmaster that's setting the price, it's the artist. Um, the artist, as I noted in the Bruce Springsteen example, over, about 20% of the tickets were under $99. If you look globally at the Live Nation uh, portfolio of shows, the uh, the average ticket price to get into a show is $33. So by no means is there extremely high pricing for every ticket out there. Um, but specifically the artist, to Jenica
0: and Marco's yeah. concerns about the fees yeah. also attached to those tickets. Ticketmaster does get at least a piece of
2: those fees, correct? Sure. The fee, service fees are set by the venue, ultimately. They're in an arrangement between Ticketmaster and the venue to provide all of the ticketing services. The majority of those funds go to the venues, and Ticketmaster gets a piece of that money, a piece that has been declining over the past decade, not increasing, um, and that goes to paying all the costs uh, associated with the service being provided. This, the face value of the ticket is what goes to the artist.
0: We should note, though, that per today's stock market, Live Nation's market cap is valued at $21 billion. It's the world's 786th most valuable company. So you are making money from this. Where is your revenue coming from?
2: No, absolutely. We make revenue uh, on a variety of sources. We uh, promote the concert, so we work with the artists. Generally, an arrangement where we guarantee the artist an amount of money for performing the show, and then anything over that is split 90% to the artist, 10% to us. So we get a piece through that. Um, We do make a profit on the tickets. Uh, The majority of the service fee, as I said, goes to the venue, but we do get a piece of it. And we also work with brands on an advertising basis that are looking to connect with music fans, either through our online platform or through all of the shows that we put on. And we're very proud that we've grown this business over the past decade. Uh, We've more than doubled the number of shows that we put on. We've increased our fan base from 40 million fans to over 100 million fans this year, continuing to bring more live music to more fans globally.
0: Diana, I'd love for you to give us a, a quick econ lesson. Ticketmaster and Live Nation merged in 2010, and you say that makes them a monopoly. We'll get into why, but first, what are monopolies and why are they harmful?
3: Sure. So, monopolies are firms that have a significant share of the market, you know, a big market share, probably anything north of about 60%. And we worry about monopolies because they can. Uh, pretty much engage in whatever pricing schemes they want to uh, raise prices and exercise their market power. That of course harms consumers, but we worry even more about monopolies in the antitrust world when they start engaging in conduct that is designed to squeeze out or ice out their rivals, uh, such as secondary uh, uh, participants in the secondary market, ticket resellers. Uh, Ticketmaster had a monopoly in 2010 in ticketing and joining up with Live Nation really supercharged those incentives to exercise market power all through uh, the supply chain from artist management to venue management to ticketing. Are monopolies, just to be clear, are they always illegal? They are not illegal. It is not illegal to have market power and to raise prices. What is illegal under the antitrust laws is, this, is if a monopolist uses its market power uh, to maintain its monopoly or leverage its monopoly Uh, by squeezing out rivals. Um, It's also illegal if you have a lot of market power uh, to engage in anti-competitive agreements with your rivals. Joe, uh, would you respond
0: to Diana's assertion that Live Nation is a monopoly?
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. First of all, just using the definition of over 60% market share, neither Ticketmaster nor our concert business have market share. Over sixty percent um, in terms of ticketing of live events throughout the US or in terms of the overall concert promotion business what is your market share Sec- uh, I think we'd probably estimate it to be in the 20s to low 30s so that's just um, an,
0: that's just an estimate you don't have a,
2: a strong no, number we, no we don't have an exact number but secondly I think when you talk about market power a few things first of all when you look at our role in the industry as I noted earlier, Ticketmaster renews its venues uh, agreements every three to five years. And over the past decade, what we've seen is every time Ticketmaster renews one of those venue agreements, the venue gets a higher portion of the service fees of the revenues that Ticketmaster collects on the tickets, which would be an indication that the venues have more market power than Ticketmaster does. Secondly, on the concert promotion side, almost every artist when they come back to us for their next tour is looking to get a higher guarantee, which would indicate that they have uh, the market power, not Live Nation. And then when you look at our competition, I think there's never been a more vibrant set of competitors in ticketing. You have SeatGeek that didn't exist a decade ago, Access, which is very active and competitive, Eventbrite, which I don't think existed a decade ago. On the concert promotion side, you have AEG, which is much larger and more active than it was a decade ago. So I just don't think that the, the characteristics that uh, were used to define apply to Live Nation or Ticketmaster. Uh, Diana, when you, in your research, how
0: much of the ticket market have you found Ticketmaster holds?
3: Well, I think there are good estimates out there, anywhere from 70%. Uh, up to say eighty uh, percent. I think that's uh, pretty well established by government research, by research done in the secondary ticketing market, and even in the primary ticketing market. Uh, I would love to see the competition that Joe's referring to that would, uh, you know, support a, an estimate of a twenty to thirty percent market share. I, I I don't think that uh, I don't think we see that at all, and um, uh, we certainly have evidence. Uh, that uh, Ticketmaster does have significant market power and engages in conduct to protect that market power by uh, restricting uh, the ability of fans to purchase on the secondary market and drive them back to the primary ticketing platform. And, you know, this whole argument about, well, the artists set the price, the venues set the price. um, We got to remember that artists and venues don't really have much choice either in who they deal with in terms of venue management and artist management services. So really when you don't have competition on the buy side or on the sell side of the market, you end up with just a few players splitting up monopoly profits.
0: Well, I want to bring one more voice into the conversation, but first, according to a, a lawsuit issued against uh, Live Nation and Ticketmaster in January and the Government Accountability Office, they cite about 80% of the ticket market being held by Ticketmaster and Live Nation. But let's turn now to Gary Witt. He's the CEO of the PAPS Theater Group, which operates six m- music venues in and around Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Gary, welcome to 1A.
4: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Gary, according to that 2018 Government Accountability Office report, Ticketmaster controlled at least 80% of live venue ticket sales, but not at your venues, though. You've made the choice not to use Ticketmaster as your ticket selling platform. Tell us why. Well, we
4: we began our business uh, with the process in mind of not just trying to sell tickets, but instead to try to develop community. We didn't want to rely upon Ticketmaster, who in 20 years ago when we began, were known as being kind of like the Thermos or the Viagra of, of, uh, of the business. So um, they were a brand name, but they uh, managed and uh, maintained their own database. We wanted to have our own database because we believed that the power of our business was more based upon our ability to communicate with our customers and to be able to manage and uh, control our soul and identity of our business. Um, we also realized that Uh, as an independent in Milwaukee, a previously undiscovered market for entertainment, that we had an opportunity to grow and develop something here and not necessarily be swallowed by Godzilla. Um, And look, in in our industry, as as everyone has mentioned so far, it's Ticketmaster unto itself is not a bad thing. And Live Nation unto itself is not a bad thing. Um, But with Ticketmaster being the largest concert promoter or the largest concert promoter being Live Nation, uh, having the biggest artist management group beneath the Live Nation world, the biggest venue owners, as well as the biggest ticketing company, and now the biggest insertion into secondary ticketing markets. you know—in a, In a business meeting sitting around a large oak table, I'm sure Michael Rapino would call that vertical integration. I would call it a monopoly, Uh, a monopoly that for us makes it incredibly difficult to survive because at any moment in time, and look, the perfect analogy is I'm sitting on the radio right now uh, across the radio dial from Joe, and the representation of both of our businesses should speak volumes in relation to what this argument is really about. The union of Live Nation Ticketmaster is a poster child of consolidation gone bad. You know, when the combination of those groups came together, the goal was that it would promote competition in the Live Events marketplace. Twelve years later, there are no strong competitors really taking root. I know Joe mentioned Access and he mentioned SeatGeek. But look, this this is about market share and the stranglehold that Ticketmaster and Live Nation have on the market share is very similar to uh, watching The Godfather and watching a Mafia Don control his neighborhood. What is your decision not to use Ticketmaster meant for your business? Well, it's meant a level of independence for our business. I think if you look at uh, what independent concert promoters are about... Um, especially when we began uh, during the pandemic and we started NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, it allowed us as an independent to be able to control more of how we spoke to our consumer and also to be able to control prices for how our tickets were being sold. And honestly, that's changed as of late in the secondary ticketing market because even though I'm not a ticket master venue, you can ask Joe this question, my tickets end up on Ticketmaster websites, and Ticketmaster has a greater ability to attract people to their websites. So therefore, my show uh, that I may host with, with Tom York from Radiohead, who has been extremely aggressive at trying to find a way to control the ticket prices for his fans in Radiohead as well as in The Smile, my tickets may end up on the Ticketmaster website instead of being $75, being $350. And the consumer doesn't really know that that's not my choice or Tom York's choice. They just think that it's our fault. Joe,
0: uh,
4: how would you respond
0: to that?
2: Yeah, I think, first of all, our fundamental belief is is that a vibrant, strong businesses such as Gary's are critical to the music industry and to the fans. We've been supporters of Neva. We were supporters of Save Our Stages. So I think uh, we've been much more supportive than anything else. Um, in terms of the secondary market, I think we're probably the third largest player after StubHub and Vivid. We, uh, I know we'll get more into this, but we certainly endeavor to play by sets of rules that are much more fan favorable than I think is the industry standard. And we're actually advocates and supportive of allowing the artists and the promoters to have tools that if a band like Radiohead wants to play his building... They have the ability to say these tickets can only be sold to fans and shouldn't be allowed to be resold on the secondary market. If that's the artist and promoter decision, then we stand by it and we wouldn't list those tickets. But what, um, what process
0: do you have in place to ensure those tickets don't end up on your site? Because it, what I hear Gary saying is that they actually end up there, regardless of what the artist wants or their venue wants.
2: Yeah, well, in, in the United States, the way the secondary market is set up and, and is allowed is is that if somebody buys tickets on the primary marketplace and they make the decision they want to resell them, uh, they generally can resell them on the secondary marketplaces, StubHub, Vivid, um, SeatGeek, Ticketmaster, and so on, and they can list those tickets to be resold. And and there are not restrictions from doing so. In some cases, you're allowed to uh, have the artist and the promoter decide that they don't want those tickets to be resold. They want to make them non-transferable. And we're supportive of the artist and promoter having the control and ability to do that to make sure the tickets stay with just the fans. And not with scalpers that are looking to buy tickets solely so they can get the arbitrage on the value that they could sell in the secondary relative to what they pay in the primary.
0: So what I hear you saying is it's incumbent upon the artist and the venue to say these tickets are non-transferable and that would prevent them from ending up on Ticketmaster?
2: Uh, Yeah, in, in most jurisdictions where it's allowed. In some states like New York, they don't allow the artist and the promoter to have that ability to make sure that the tickets are going to fans. Gary, has that
0: been your experience?
4: Well, I think think you have to go to great lengths to try to find ways to get Ticketmaster to take your tickets off of their website. I've experienced in the last 12 years or so, multiple times back in the beginning, when Ticketmaster began began actually uh, listing secondary uh, market tickets on the website, and we had to have attorneys threaten to sue at that time, and they did pull our tickets off. But then when Ticketmaster renewed their effort to go into the secondary market, um, that changed. And of course, my tickets for almost all of my shows are ending up there. I mean, you have to understand the power that Ticketmaster has as a brand, which is great for them and sad for them because it's not as if you're walking around seeing people wearing Ticketmaster t-shirts. I mean, I'm sorry, Joe, but the reality is is that Ticketmaster's brand level ranks just slightly above your local cable company in popularity. And the the problem is is that that impacts and harms our business as well. I mean, look, the shafting of consumers of all these fees that are added on in the secondary market ended up feeding one of the largest CEO pay packages ever recorded for a a CEO. Michael Rapino made $70.6 million in 2017. To put it in normal terms, the average employee at Live Nation makes $24,000 a year. That's a CEO to worker ratio of 2893 to 1. Put it another way, it takes 41 minutes for Michael Rapino to earn the average worker's annual
2: wage. Uh,
0: Joe, I want to give you a chance to respond to that.
2: Uh, I'm not sure which part to respond to. Um, again, we understand that part of the role that Ticketmaster is, placed, is taken in the industry over many years, many decades, is it's the one that gets blamed for a lot of things. It gets blamed for high ticket prices, as we've heard today, even though those ticket prices get set by the artists uh, or the sports teams. It gets blamed for service fees even though those service fees uh, uh, are largely going to the venues that it serves, it gets blamed for tickets going into the secondary market, even when those tickets get into the secondary market through unscrupulous activities by scalpers that violate the law to get those tickets and then resell them on a range of secondary sites. So we understand that historically Ticketmaster has been blamed for a lot of things.
0: I want to get to a lawsuit that was filed in January. It alleges that Ticketmaster violated a consent decree with the Department of Justice that was put in place when the company merged with Live Nation in 2010. And the lawsuit says Live Nation withheld tours from venues that don't use Ticketmaster. Diana, what more can you tell us about that lawsuit?
3: Sure. So that lawsuit was brought by the DOJ. Um, It actually wasn't uh, a lawsuit. They were reopening what's called the settlement in the original merger of Live Nation and Ticketmaster. And That merger back in 2010 resulted in a lot of conditions that the company would have to adhere to to prevent uh, behavior that would uh, squeeze out smaller rivals, either in the primary or even in the secondary ticketing market and venues that don't use Ticketmaster's platform. And what they found over the, the last 10 years was that Uh, Ticketmaster was violating the the terms of that government consent decree and there there were six concert venues anonymously uh, listed in the uh, in the um, government's uh, motion that basically attested to being threatened if they did not take Ticketmaster uh, Ticketmaster services. uh, being harassed if they did not take ticketmaster services. so that's hard evidence Jen on on what Ticketmaster has been doing or did over the last ten years to uh, to maintain its monopoly now that it's vertically integrated all the way from artist management to uh, to promotion, through venue management and and ticketing. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Remember to
0: connect with us. find us on Twitter at one a. Let's get back to our conversation with this tweet from Fatima. Fatima tweeted Ticketmaster is the worst. The tickets do not go to fans at all, but resellers and scalpers who price gouge the tickets. Tickets have been listed for thousands of dollars. That is horrendous. Most scalpers are Ticketmaster themselves who take advantage of fans in the Monopoly now. And Nate tweeted I used to love seeing live music, but the service fees almost doubled the cost to the concert goer. I have emptied my cart many times after the fees were visible. Thanks for those messages. Let's pick up the conversation with the Department of Justice's investigation into what they say is a violation of the consent decree that was put in place in 2010 when Ticketmaster and Live Nation merged. Again, it says Live Nation withheld tours from venues that don't use Ticketmaster. Joe, how has your company responded to that?
2: Yeah, I think context is important here. Uh, Over the decade involved, Ticketmaster had over 5,000 different venue negotiations, Live Nation Concert, put on several hundred thousand concerts. And at the end of the DOJ's exhaustive multi-year investigation, they found six points where in their interpretation they believe they could imply Uh, a violation of the consent decree. We had a different point of view. We thought there was uh, a different interpretation of all of those events. And the one thing we agreed to at the end with the DOJ is, is we had different interpretations on some parts of the consent decree and what the behavioral modifications needed to be. So it was a very simple discussion that was, let's just extend the consent decree. Let's clarify what is and what isn't allowed Let's have an ongoing monitoring situation so there's a regular dialogue to make sure there's no ambiguity and everybody stays aligned, and we have no interest in violating the consent decree.
0: Uh, just to be basically, clear- I,
2: Basically, the consent decree says we can't retaliate against the venue for not using ticketing or threaten them in any way. So you said, you, said you said behavioral modifications. You yeah. said behavioral modifications.
0: Do you mean policy changes?
2: Well, uh, behavioral as opposed to structural modifications. Structural modifications were things such as Ticketmaster owned Pacquiao and that had to be sold off. So that was a structural part of the agreement of the consent decree. The behavioral modifications effectively said you can't threaten a a, a venue for not, if they don't use Ticketmaster, they won't get concerts or retaliate against them if they don't use Ticketmaster. So those are behavioral.
0: So if those behaviors had to be modified, that was in fact happening
2: prior to those modifications? No, there was no implication that they were happening. That was anticipatory saying, we want to make sure they don't happen. We don't believe that they have happened. I don't believe they're good business practices. They're not how people run successful businesses by engaging in those practices.
0: Diana, was that your reading of of where this ended up?
3: Um, Actually not. Um, We were very critical of the DOJ's move in early 2020 to simply leave the existing um, uh, conditions in place uh, that prevented uh, discrimination by Ticketmaster against Secondary uh, services, uh, uh, reselling services. Um, clearly, those did not work. They had evidence from six concert venues that they that Ticketmaster had violated the terms of that consent decree, and it was a prime opportunity for the Department of Justice to take a different pathway, which would have been to either uh, bring a monopolization case to break with a breakup remedy, or to go back and reevaluate the merger uh, with an eye. Uh, to taking a stronger remedy, which would have been a breakup. So, you know, a, a big missed opportunity to to really enforce the laws strongly and to deliver benefits to consumers from, from more competition.
0: Gary, I'd love to hear from you what action would you like to see on the state or federal level to keep your industry competitive?
4: Well, it, I, there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of You know, bashing going on here of of Ticketmaster and talking about fees and and things. And I do want to state that there's nothing wrong with Ticketmaster and there's nothing wrong with Live Nation. It's really the monopolistic control of the entire business that is a problem. That's the issue that you need to see addressed. I mean, this is about what a monopoly does to community businesses, squeezing them out, uh, you know, creating just a uh, one farm that grows everything mentality, and look at what kind of harm that's going to be doing to artist development for the future. That'll resonate 50, 60, 100 years from now. Where would the Eagles have been, or where would Elton John have been if their career was controlled by one group who demanded they play in one set of venues? I mean, look, it's important to note that the record industry barely exists today in the world of, of Promoting and building an artist almost the entirety of that effort is put into the hands of agents and promoters Like us and like live nation and managers at this point in time So there's a tremendous amount of control there and it's the same kind of control that you feared Was happening to radio that stopped you from being able to hear local radio and music explode regionally It became controlled nationally and all of a sudden one guy was deciding what song everyone would listen to or The other example, one song by the Dixie Chicks that no one could listen to anymore because it wasn't in favor of one side of the government. The monopoly has to be examined. I think the DOJ is stating that by their continual review of this. And I think it's just important overall for consumers because it isn't about my business necessarily. It's really more about... The, the third grade version of me that was a fan that went to bed at night sleeping on a radio listening to my favorite song who couldn't wait to stand in line to get tickets and it's what happens with the algorithm that allows those people to completely lose control and they're in the grips of the algorithm and they have no control of what happens to them with their destiny of actually seeing the show that they'd like to see.
0: That's Gary Witt. He's CEO of the Paps Theater Group in Milwaukee, which operates six menu- music venues in and around Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thanks so much for your time, Gary. Thank you. Now let's bring one more voice into the conversation. New York State Senator James Skoufis felt that the way we've heard from a lot of you today. He's a Democrat representing the Hudson Valley, and he joins us now. Senator Scoofus, welcome to the program. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. So you're behind several major reforms on ticket sales that passed into law in New York this summer. Let's start with all-in pricing. What is that?
1: All-in pricing addresses one of the two major issues we've heard from fans surrounding the fees issue, uh, and that is the deceptive practice of dropping fees in at the checkout page after spending 20 minutes finding a seat, clicking on a price, entering your credit card information, entering your contact information, accepting terms of service, and then at the very end, okay, here's a $20 service charge, a $15 convenience fee, an $8 delivery fee. That deceptive practice as of two days ago, which is when the law took effect, uh, ought to be done away with here in New York State. And so all in pricing requires that that final actual total price at the checkout page must be brought up to the listing before you make even a single click. Uh, It is important to note that uh, many platforms are two days into this new law in violation of the law and breaking the law, including Ticketmaster. I, I even just checked again this morning, and they are dropping a fee in on the second page after making that first click, after the listing page. They're breaking the law in New York State. In fairness, so is StubHub, so is Vivid, and a number of the resale sites, uh, but I, I will be referring uh, these violations to the AG's office if ticket and others don't clean up their act. But all in pricing is a first-in-the-nation reform, and it addresses one of the two major issues with fees, the other being the scale, the scope of the outrageous fees. But this addresses the deceit that was and still is in some cases happening with fees.
0: And just to be clear for people in New York, these are for tickets that you're buying specifically for venues in your state? Or if I'm in New York purchasing a ticket to see a concert in Michigan— does the same law apply?
1: It's, it's the former. So it's any event that's happening in New York State. So if someone from another state is looking to travel to New York and enjoy a concert or a sporting event in New York, they will also be the beneficiary of all in pricing. What other reforms will take effect? Uh, the other most meaningful form reform is something called face value disclosure, where on resale, uh, up until now, there's never been context. Am I getting a good deal? Am I getting a bad deal? What was the original price? of that ticket that is now being resold to me. And now, as part of this package of reforms, uh, there will be that disclosure requirement. So look, if someone is getting a bad deal and they still wanna buy the ticket, God bless them, but they, the consumer, the fan, deserve to have that knowledge uh, and that context, and now they'll get it in New York State.
0: To what extent are these laws about reforming the events industry at large in New York versus Ticketmaster and Live Nation specifically?
1: They're all interconnected, and look, I have to say, you know, I've I, with all your listeners I've been been tuned in for the past fifty minutes, and it has been astonishing to hear uh, Mr. Burt told I accept no responsibility for the anger that is out there among the millions and millions of fans in New York and around the country pointing fingers at artists, pointing fingers at venues, pointing fingers at promoters, take some responsibility, apologize, say, I'm sorry, we are part of the problem, we have to do better, we have to be more transparent, our fees can be lower, take some responsibility. And unfortunately, when we were taking up my package of uh, reforms, I saw the same exact thing at a Ticketmaster, just finger pointing to everybody else under the sun, and refusing to look in the mirror and accept some of that responsibility. Look, we we have to do a lot more with fees. In fact, I would argue that Ticketmaster is in severe violation of the existing and longstanding state law here in New York, which requires that fees must be, quote unquote, reasonable. When I had a public hearing uh, that I chaired last year on ticketing practices, uh, the executive vice president of global music at Ticketmaster told me, quote, what's reasonable is what buyers and sellers agree is fair. I asked that uh, VP of Global Music, if they've ever polled, if they've ever surveyed their fans, do you think our fees are fair? Of course, the answer was no. They have a very twisted and hostile interpretation of uh, the law. We're seeing that with their antitrust interpretations. We're seeing it here in New York. We have to crack down on fees because it's simple and it's been plain over the past 53 minutes to anyone listening that they will not voluntarily do the right thing. Policymakers have to step in and force them to do the right thing.
0: Joe, how does your company feel about these new laws in in New York? And and what will it mean for your bottom line?
2: Yeah, we're fully supportive of these laws. Um, We think they're a great enhancement to the consumer experience. Uh, We have uh, made modifications to our website. We presented those modifications to the state AG's office. We have not heard any feedback or concerns that we are not in compliance with the law. If we hear any feedback, we'll modify as they direct. But at this point, uh, we haven't gotten any feedback that we have issues. We'd love to see the laws go further. We'd love to see a ban on speculative ticket and secondary. It makes no sense to me why we have uh, the ability to sell tickets in the secondary market that don't exist uh, and think that that practice should be ended. We'd love to see enforcement of the BOTS Act. Uh, which has been in place, but which we were denied a private right of action to go after and try to sue for enforcement of it. And it's been uh, a law that hasn't really been pursued. We'd love to see the artists have more control over how their tickets can be transferred and managed. So uh, we're in support of a lot of ongoing efforts by the senator and others to continue to make that fan experience better. Joe,
0: we've heard from a number of people this hour that Ultimately, Live Nation and Ticketmaster have, you have a PR problem. We've heard from lots of angry people this hour. For a company worth $21 billion, I want to give you a chance to respond to consumers who say, we're being gouged.
2: No, I, I understand the concern. Um, I think the ticketing industry is one that has uh, been opaque, that people haven't understood how it works. Even in these recent comments, the the difference between primary and secondary and the roles of the different players. And I think we need to do a much better job of communicating exactly how the industry works and working with the senators and others to make sure that there are more consumer uh, enhancements made to the process.
0: Thanks to today's guests for joining us. James Skoufis is a Democrat representing the Hudson Valley in the New York State Senate. Joe Burkhold is the president and CFO of Live Nation, the parent company of Ticketmaster. And Diana Moss is an economist and president of the American Antitrust Institute. Today's producer was Avery J.C. Kleinman. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon. This is 1A.